0: And voila, we are live. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Binnati Sheet over here coming at you as always an hour late with uh, <laughs> the title for today, which is essentially why and how you can learn storytelling by reading historical and mythological fiction. Again, stress on not just reading, but also like later on writing, because oftentimes we just read and then we forget about it. So right now is the moment when I will drop the link to the blog in the comments. So you can follow along with the notes. Uh, And uh, without further ado, let's let's just jump into the thing. And there's a comment, which is from me, which is this. Right? This is the blog link. You can find it in the comment section. And let's, let's just get into why you should read mythological and historical works of fiction as well as the real books and how you can, if you are a writer or if you want to write, how you can explore that entire genre and create books of your own right, or short stories of your own. So one of the first reasons why you should read these books is, and I know that this is something that you will think, oh, she, she mentions this all the time. But it's true. Okay, when you read, reading is one of those things that has been shown to enhance smile information in your head, especially till your 50s. So myelin is that thing that enables you to have faster neural synapses. So for things like deep learning or faster skill acquisition or better creativity or for letting like uh, electricity, uh, electric signals move around properly in your head, you need like a healthy myelin sheath, right? So reading is one of those things that has been proven, right, it has been proven to enhance brain function. So when you read complicated things like mythology, and history complicated, because they are condensed, like you have lots of storylines going along simultaneously, and you have to, you have to require a specific set of reading comprehension to get these things, right. So when you read these complicated, complex, highly condensed stories, what happens is automatically your brain becomes more into, it it gets more into whatever it is that you are trying to read or understand. So one of the main reasons why you should read these books, these works is uh, this, this is one thing that will interest you and also kind of help your brain. Um, let's see what comment. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Nada. Exactly. Mythological fiction is amazing. And the three kingdoms is interesting. Yes, yes. By the way, I'm going to sneak in uh, the Egyptian mythology of Ra into my Japanese mythology of Amaterasu coming soon. So I think you might like that one. Anyway, coming to uh, the points, that's point number one. Point number two is this Histori- history and mythology already consist of winning idea. OK, history literally stood the time stand of time. OK, we know about history because it was written down. It was taught to us or it was told to us, whatever. We know that this thing happened years ago to this day because it's a winning idea, right? Same with mythology. There are These are stories that were told years ago to probably convey a message to humanity, right? Uh, or whatever it is that you believe mythology to be written uh, into the popular narrative, right? But these are winning ideas. These are ideas that we know people already like. They like these ideas enough to write gigantic books about it, poems about it, plays about it. They literally wrote whatever they could possibly write about history and mythology. Why? Because these were winning ideas. So if they did it in the past, why couldn't you do it as well in the present, right? So that's number two. Reason number three is the characters are unforgettable by default. Now, if I were to say uh, King Ashoka from the Mauryan dynasty to an Indian person, they automatically know who that is, not just because of Ashoka, the movie starring Shah Rukh Khan, not just because we were taught about the Mauryan dynasty in school, but because the story of Emperor Ashok, somebody who literally, had one of the most powerful empires in India in his hand and then he was like yeah I'm renouncing it because I have ushered in so much bloodshed and whatnot right this character is unforgettable by default go across the world across the world without exception you are going to find these characters in history and mythology that are unforgettable now you have these unforgettable characters that exist All you have to do is to practice fictional writing. You just have to take these stories and these characters that already exist and you just have to reimagine them or retell their story or reform a narrative around it. We'll we'll come to that in the later part. Uh, Yes, hello, uh, and if there are any doubts, you guys can sneak those into the comments. So the characters are unforgettable by default, meaning one of the hardest jobs that you have as a writer Already done, character design. You know the character traits because history or mythology, a lot of things about this character are already explained in their actions, whether they were real or mythological, right? So these characters are unforgettable and already described by default. So your job while you are practicing fiction writing, already easy, you don't have to waste your energy and start crying because you are unable to plan or you are unable to chart your plot or your characters. Plot character already exists. So yay on that front. All you have to do is you just have to kind of let your uh, imaginative canvas come to the forefront. Then there is this. You don't have to needlessly explain things, right? Uh, Now say, I want to tell the story of any uh, give me some characters in the comments if there's somebody listening. I would, I would, uh, Okay, please, whoever this is, last time also you did this, don't drop your contact information in my comment section. I'm going to delete that. Please don't drop your contact information, like phone numbers and things like that in the comment section. That is not right. Uh, coming back to what we are talking about, which is, you don't have to needlessly explain things. Uh, let's take the three books that I mentioned in the, in the description. Uh, okay. Yes, yes, Nada. Let's let's talk about Lord Shiva, right? Because uh, I did uh, mention uh, Shiva in the description of this life. Uh, which is The Immortals of Meluha by Amish Tripathi. It's a book written by an Indian author, wonderful book, which shows the deification process of Lord Shiva, which is Lord Shiva is a humble guy, normal guy who's roaming around. And uh, by the end of the third book, he becomes Lord Shiva, right? So from becoming a man to a deity, that's, that's what this entire really popular trilogy in India was about. Immortals of Vimeluha, Oath of the Mayuputras, and I'm not remembering the third one. So there were three books which did this. They did not really describe who Shiva was, what Shiva was. We were not told about the expanse of uh, Kalash. where... Uh, yeah, exactly. Whoever you are LinkedIn user, that book is amazing because that's what it did. It took Shiva, something that someone... Apologies that exists in popular Indian mythology as well as theology, religion. And instead of describing Shiva to death, like he's so handsome, he's so divine, he's so kind, he's so he's got a blue neck, right? Or uh, he's got these long flowy locks, he's got a vibe with the ladies, he does the chillam, none of this is described. We are just instead. Told a wonderful story around Shiva just doing these things. The book literally opens with Shiva doing a talk. Right? He's smoking marijuana. That's 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 one of the first chapters. And if somebody is triggered by this, it's part of Shiva worship. Like read Shiva Puran if you don't believe me. So instead of needlessly describing Shiva and his family and his surroundings what Amish Tripathi did was he used actions to kind of suck us into his book. Now, at that point in time, Amish Tripathi was not as popular a writer as he is right now. So he didn't waste time describing Shiva and everything around Shiva. Instead, he just showed us actions via kick ass. And uh, very, I could say, present storytelling, even if the story is from the past, he is using the morality of the present morality of say the 20s to give us this story. So that is what you could do with historical mythological fiction, you can take these characters from history and mythology, it's one of the points later on down there. Uh, But I will mention it anyway, these things are open sourced. Nobody is going to copy strike you or copyright claim you because you wrote a story on Shiva, right? Or you wrote a story on Ram, or you wrote a story on Sita, or you wrote a story on Ra, or any of these amazing diverse characters that already exist, right? So you don't have to needlessly explain things. Same with Madeline Miller's Circe and the Song of Achilles. She does not go into deep details about who Achilles was or that stupid story that goes around everywhere, which is Thetis, took Achilles and dipped him. And where she held him, that's where he became mortal. And that's where Achilles' heel comes in play. No, she does not go into any of this. Instead, she tells us about the traumatic history of Thetis, who was raped by Achilles' father. She tells us. Oh, Achilles did not want to fight. This is actually catalogued in history. He was drawn into it. right? So you don't have to needlessly describe things. Just let the action speak for the character. There's a comment. Let me check it out. Or Arjuna or Karna or Indra. Exactly. We, there are so many things you can... There are so many, so many characters. We can just have a party with these characters without having to needlessly explain anything right? Then there is the structure of the story already exists, right? So say I'm writing on Karna from the Mahabharata. Now we know the story of Karna. He was abandoned by his mother at birth. He was taken in by charioteers. Uh, But on account of his noble birth, which brings in like the classist element of uh, the Hindu mythology, but you're gonna ignore that uh, despite his social class, Karna becomes an amazing warrior, right? And uh, he goes to showcase his skills over and over again till the point where uh, Draupadi's low key insults him when he actually wins, uh, and that's when he goes to the dark side, so to speak. But he does not lose his. Uh, karma or his, uh, what you could say, his noble nature or any of that despite kind of supporting the evil guys. So the the character exists, the plot exists, we know everything that happened to Karna. We know his childhood, we know his adulthood, we know of his noble actions, we know of what his silence enabled, Uh, we know of his end right? We know of his death. And we know of his impact on Mahabharata. The structure of the story exists. Now all you have to do is you have to take the story of Karna and tell it from a unique perspective, right? Instead of the perspective in Mahabharata, you can take the perspective of say some random villager who is observing this entire mega war, uh, wherein to him maybe Karna represents a way to the future, or to him, this guy with the humble beginnings who was denied his birthright because of stupid uh, rules of society, who went astray but never really strayed from the path of karma, right? How he could be seen as the hero rather than. Say Arjuna or Krishna, this is just me giving you an example. Okay, so you can do this. You can take the structure of the story and you can t- twist it however you want. You can take a narrator, a different narrator. You can take an unreliable narrator, which is a narrator that is lying to you. Say for instance, Duryodhana is telling the story of Karna. So see what I mean. You can just be like, twist, twist. You can just twist the story however you want using uh, these things. Yes, hi, and I'm fine. Don't ask too weird questions like this. Come on, guys. Hi, how are you? Seriously. <laughs> anyway, so next you have uh, the sixth point, which is use your POV or point of view to trigger your reader's mind. So this is this is this is where storytelling comes in play. Right. This is where masterful storytellers take the cake always, right? No matter what stories they tell us. And it could be one of or more of these three elements, which is racks to riches. You were poor, you became rich, or you did not have influence, you became influenced. You became influential. Uh, Boy meets girl or boy meets another. One person meets another person and all the problems that are associated to it. Like parents didn't agree, societal issues, blah, blah, blah. Or the third, which is person learns a lesson at the end of the story there's a lesson. So you take a combination of these three basic storytelling elements and you create a point of view that is going to trigger your reader's mind. So with Cersei what Madeline Miller did is she triggered her reader's mind with thoughts of feminism. Okay Uh, in that Cersei the daughter of Helios, Cersei again was uh, a which is a witch, uh, a healer, somebody who used herbs to heal and hurt, right? And she had the power to do that to gods and goddesses as well. So very powerful, but we know her as, popularly we know her as Parmakis, the witch. Or we know her as that goddess that turned uh, Odysseus's crew into pigs, right? So these are the two popular things that we know about Circe. However, what Madeline Miller did is she tells us about Circe being the daughter of Helios, god of sun or sun god, and how she cowered in his shadows, and how she emerges from that as time goes by her mental and social struggles as a humane goddess, right? a goddess, a deity who did not see humanity as a pesky thing or humanity as something that has to bow to gods, but as she saw humanity to be beautiful, right? So this is how she uses a present feministic point of view about equality. She uses social equality, along with hints of gender equality to trigger your mind. And that creates a holistic reading experience. Right. Uh, LinkedIn user, whoever you are, it does make sense. There have been experiments like this. Ravana Putri is one such talks about Sita as a. Yeah, exactly. Ravana Putri. Then even even if you look at the mythological uh, uh, and uh, accounts of Ravan. Ravan was and Ravan is mentioned in the Shiv Pura because of how devoted he was to Shiva worship or Shiva worship right and uh, the story is like his wife is so engrossed in dancing to Shiva he's, he 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 literally like plucks out a nerve to ensure that the music doesn't stop so that the worship doesn't stop. So how does a guy like this go on to suddenly become like a paragon of everything hedonistic, somebody who would kidnap somebody's wife, somebody who would suddenly start raping and pillaging and killing. This does not narratively make sense. People don't just change like this. There has to be like a reason. So you could definitely explore that and I think I think books like Ravan Putri, great example. Thank you so much for mentioning this wherever you are. And uh, coming back to what we were talking about, which is use your POV. Yeah, Ravan Putri could be example of POV triggering, right? Instead of uh, Sita being the daughter of King Janak or Janak Putri, what if she was Ravan Putri? There you go. And immediately people who know the story of Sita, people who know the Ramayana, they are going to go like, what? What is this? And then comes the magic words, which is, oh, what happens next? Or, pata karna hai ki ye logic hai. Right? So you're going to get curious by default, and you're going to go oh, 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 through the book. So if you are practicing fiction writing, and again, I am not a published fiction author. I am in the process of learning fiction writing myself, which is why I'm sharing what has been working for me. So this is it. You can use existing historical mythological narratives to trigger your reader's mind. Then you have this, which is intention and obstacle. So intention and obstacle are the two basic tenets of storytelling, okay? Whether you are screenwriting, fiction writing or viral content writing, you need intention and obstacle. Right? Intention is a strength that your character has. And obstacle is a weakness that your character has that needs to be overcome. Right? So intention and obstacle is the basic tenet of a good character and storytelling. So with historical and my thought, with, let's let, this would be more applicable to historical characters, uh, primarily because we have facts, right? So this is what uh, the likes of Shakespeare and so many others did spectacularly. They took characters and then they brought an intention and obstacle to create amazing dramas. So whether it is Julius Caesar whether it is Antony and Cleopatra, right, or whether it is these stories, these, these dramas that are based on real life incidents, the thing that makes them immortal is not or the thing that makes these works of fiction. So amazing is not just the characters that they were based on, but the intention and obstacling that was done to them by the storyteller. Right. So when, say, Julius Caesar begins, the character of Caesar is being painted in two lights, right? Caesar is benevolent king who has a uh, kind of uh, freed people of uh, tyranny or whatever, right? And because he has freed people of the tyranny of the times, he deserves to be king. That is narrative one. And then there is the second narrative if we replace one tyrant by another, we are anyway creating a new problem to be solved later on in the future. So instead of waiting to see how Caesar performs, let's just kill him. Right. So these two narratives are kind of portraying the strength of Julius Caesar in a way. Right. And then the obstacle comes in play, which is the morality of the chief plotter, Brutus. Right. So you just have to take this existing historical and mythological characters and just use intention and obstacles to kind of do newer, different kind of storytelling. Then use the known idea and work your perspective into the narrative. So this is where I'm going to use, say, The Song of Achilles. So Achilles, again, by all accounts, he was not buried alone, right? He was buried with the ashes of uh, another soldier. And with one line, like Achilles in the book, the song of Achilles receives an ominous warning, which is Hector from Troy when you defeat him, that will be your end. After you defeat Hector from Troy, you're going to die. And Achilles very casually goes, what has Hector done to me? Why would I have to kill him? To survive the war of Troy, all I have to do is not kill Hector from Troy and I'll be okay. And Achilles stays with this mentality till the point when he does kill Hector because Hector kind of takes away his everything. The man that is buried with him. Right. And that is what Hector did to him. Right. That is why Thetis disliked the guy that Achilles was friends with. And uh, if you've seen uh, the movie Troy with Brad Pitt in it, he freaks out, right, when his cousin dies. And that's the character we are talking about. And she takes this, this perception, right? And again, this is where you can bring in perspective. So we are struggling with perspectives around homophobia right now. But by all known historical accounts, the past did not have a problem with this. They did not have a problem with homophobia. They did not have a problem with polygamy and polyamory. They did not have a problem with nudity. They did not have a problem with like 99% of the things that society has a problem with today, right? Transphobia wasn't a thing. In fact, they were revered, right? They were used as uh, things that people worshipped to or people who protected queens. So. What Madeline Miller did is she weaved this perspective in. Instead of telling the story from the morality of the present, she shocked us and slapped us in the face by showing us the morality of the past, which is it was okay then, yet somehow we don't tell this story right now. So you can take these stories and you can showcase the morality of the past, maybe in the morality of the present. Or you can do the vice versa. You can showcase the morality of the past with the morality of the present, say, sati, right? The act of committing sati or johar. Why did so many people willingly agree to do this? You can explain this with the morality of the present in that women didn't want to be brutalized by foreign invaders. right? And they instead chose to die by fire or poison or whatever it was. So you, you you don't have to endorse these ideas, you just have to take these ideas. And you have to work a perspective into the narrative, right? So I must see the comments. There are two. Uh, Indeed, another book that weaves a different narrative is Yes, Chariots of the Gods by Eric Von Daniken. Thank you. Can you let me know who you are LinkedIn user? Because I think I'm a PM you later on for a LinkedIn Live request. Uh, Eric von Danigan in Chariots of the God, brings in flipping aliens. Okay, aliens. So that's it. Instead of uh, having a mythological character be a human that could do like things. And even Naruto did this The Otsuki, the Otsuki spoiler alert, which in Boruto, Naruto next generations are being revealed to be aliens. And till this point in time, it was being linked to the Rikudo philosophy in the Naruto universe. And now it's like aliens. So everyone is like, ooh, and yeah, the hype is here. So this is what you could do. This is exactly, thank you so much, LinkedIn user. Uh, I'm really curious to know who you are. I'm, I'm gonna sneak into the comments later on to find out. But you can use the known idea and work your perspective into the narrative, okay? And uh, there are many, many examples of this. Maleficent and Maleficent 2, the villain from Sleeping Beauty. Why exactly was she a villain? Why did she hate that king? right? If you provide context and if you make this person we're going to talk about maleficent a little later on uh, when i talk about unlikable characters which she i think is the perfect example of uh, narrative storytelling done around unlikable characters so coming to the next point make the audience a component of your work now this this i think is the biggest cherry in the cake because uh, people are already invested in historical and mythological stories, more mythological than historical, because we don't like our gods and goddesses to be questioned. We don't like to look into those myths, because apparently that's not something that people like to do. And I hate that, because the stories of gods and goddesses are amazing, right? So even to hate the book that is written, people will read your thing, because they're like, how dare this chick? come out of the blue and write about my God or my goddess, they are already invested just by the title. They'll be like, mm, I'm gonna critically bash the shit out of this book. How dare this chick disrespect Indian culture or, you know, basically, uh, triggering people to checking your workout. And, uh, while I'm, I'm poking fun at this, people will be invested, okay, when you take a name, they already know, people like to feel smart, okay, this is, this is no rocket science being mentioned here, people like to feel smart. And uh, the moment you cite a character, they already know, they will become a component of your work, because they will read on to either check whether you are right or wrong. Or they will read on to kind of go into what we talked about previously, the golden words. Oh, what happens next? Because you introduced a twist or something and they kind of had a, had head tickles happen or they got too excited into exploring the premise of the book. So when you take historical and mythological characters, you make the audience a component of your work. And having an audience, having readers that are advanced, may engage with your work, That is the ultimate win-win situation you can find yourself in, right? So yes, I know it was a joke, but it's true. People people like to kind of uh, defend their perspectives and their narratives about history and mythology because history runs deep. It is very hard to overcome history. And mythology is one of those things we internalize. based on whoever it is that told us the story. However, it becomes personal. So say, I'm Indian. To me, there are certain stories that if you tell from, say, a Western perspective, no matter how atheistical I am by nature, I'm going to be like, "Mm, I did not ask you, you Western person. So you automatically get people to uh, come into your work, excited. Then we have this, which is try mirroring, which is imitate the history of mythology. Now, this is something I heard on Salman Rushdie's masterclass. This masterclass is, oh my God, it's amazing. So I'm going to see the legalities of this and maybe make uh, videos summarizing these masterclasses because the masterclass by Salman Rushdie and Neil Gaiman, oh my God. So amazing. Am I back? I hope I'm back. Gosh, I I really hate my internet sometimes. It just went away. Anyway, so this is advice coming from Salman Rushdie and uh, he says you can mirror uh, history or mythology. In that you can take a character from history and uh, then draw a narrative. Say for instance you have a mother and daughter in the in the mythology of history. Let's take Demeter and uh, Persephone, right? So Demeter is the goddess of seasons and Persephone, I don't know what Persephone is, but Persephone is the child of a goddess. And Demeter loves her daughter a lot, okay? Then one fine day, Persephone is chilling uh, in the garden and then Hades comes and kidnaps her. Right. And Persephone falls in love with Hades. And she's like, I want to be with my husband. But Demeter is like my daughter. No. So she's upset because she gets upset on account of being the goddess of of nature and bounty and seasons. Everything around the world kind of starts shriveling and dying. Right. So Demeter strikes a deal with Hades like I need my daughter. So for six months, she stays with you for six months. She stays with me, right? So that's why we have different seasons. That is the, that is the mythology. So instead of talking about Demeter and Persephone and Hades, what you can do is you can create a needy mother-in-law types character in the story and let people draw the parallels, mirror the story from the mythology, right? Uh, can somebody let me know whether uh, this uh, live is visible or not because i have no idea the connection broke my internet went away i had to switch to 4g and yeah i i have no idea whether this broadcast is happening can somebody just cue me in whether it is happening or not i'd be very grateful anyway so there's that try mirroring which is Imitate the history slash mythology. Then we have uh, tip number 11, which is this. History of mythology is condensed and open sourced. Try expanding the stories, the facts to create fiction, right? Now, why this could be fascinating is primarily Open sourcing, you, oh, thank you so much, Pat Modi. Fantastic. So I'm gonna shut my LinkedIn in the side, (laughs) attempting to find out. So uh, it's open sourced. So you don't have to worry about somebody going, oh, she copied my story or, oh, he copied, or they copied my story. That won't happen because history mythology is open sourced. You can do whatever you want with it, right? Secondly, it is condensed. If you look at the Iliad, Right, Omer's Iliad, for instance, it is telling you so many stories, so many stories. And if it went into deep details, Omar Iliad would have been this big. Okay, like say Dante's Inferno, this is a poem that is 1400 lines long. And while reading Dante's Inferno, or some places you go, my god, kill me now. Right, it happens in places because it's very dense. So that is why they tend to condense history and mythology to make it more accessible to the readers. Also, because whenever history and mythology was being written, paper was not a widely available commodity. Paper was a priced commodity, very expensive, very difficult to create at all. So mythology, history, kind of of condensed. So you have a very condensed, so you have basically what you have is you have an onion. All you have to do is you have to be like layer one removed, layer two removed, layer three removed. Because it's it's you, you want to have like a nicely chopped shallot right for your fancy French sauce. And to do that, you have to as I take off the shallot by the seams and cut it individually. So that's what you Can do with this. Your condensed Kanda now has to become this gigantic pile of minutely chopped onions. Okay? So take this heavily condensed story and peel it, peel its layers off. By doing so, what you get is you get to expand a story that deserved to be told but never had the opportunity to be told, right? Uh, Say the story of Sita. Right, I think I'm not, think, I'm pretty sure he's done it already. This fellow, the myth is Mithya writer, Devdat Patnayak. Devdat Patnayak already did this, right? Like, we don't know the story of Sita, we just know the bare bones. Like, she was daughter of Janak, married Ram, supported him, did Agni Pariksha, and then he was like, Yeah, I'm abandoning you, go die in a forest or whatever, take care of our babies while you're at it, right? That's that's basically the gist of what we know about Sita from the Ramayana and there's so much more to a person than just that even if it's in a mythology right same with Lakshman uh, supportive brother uh, kind of very devout in his principles all of that but that's the only story we are told we are not told how he feels about things we are not told how he sees the entire war that happened, or he sees the exile. They're not told these stories because these stories are condensed, right? So you can expand on these stories by using the various tenets of storytelling. That is completely up to you. Then comes the next point, which is this. Write and increase what you know. So this is something that if you, like me, write a lot of nonfiction, you will love doing. Because this is something we do a lot with nonfiction research, we look in books, we look at Google, we look at uh, archives, we look at, say, user forums where we can ask people their opinions on certain characters, or certain stories or certain historical acts, right? We already know certain things, and then we can collect information all around us. And this is a fact. What you know already, you can write it in a way better way than what you don't know, right? So, if you write what you know, you will be writing well. And with things like history and mythology, you can always, courtesy of books, libraries, Google, helpful strangers on the internet, really amazing elderly folks who would love to tell you stories, right? And their opinions about the stories. You can always increase what you know. So write what you know, also increase what you already know about these stories. Then we have this lovely thing, which is make the story accessible to the morality of the present. So I've already touched upon this previously, but some things about the past certainly don't make any sense in the present. You will go, why the hell would they do this? And what we don't realize when we make extremely arrogant statements like that is progress of humanity is fairly recent, right? As in from the industrial age to the technological age. Right now, we have progressed at breakneck speeds. What we view progress to be right now was not what progress was viewed at, like, say, in second or third century AD. So, all the things that happened then will not make sense right now. Right? Why did certain things get viewed in a certain way at that point in time? You can totally explore this, right? And you can make it relatable and understandable to the present. That could be your story. Right? So uh, Neil Gaiman went into a wonderful uh, explanation about this in his masterclass, about storytelling. And uh, he is like, you cannot write uh, characters from the past as if they're characters in the present. I mean, you can, that's what he does with Sandman and stuff like that. But ideally, you are not supposed to like make, uh, uh, say, say King Ram, talk like a rapper, right? Like Hamilton, the very popular play, Broadway play, has Alexander Hamilton kind of rapping, right? And do you think the real Alexander Hamilton even stood for a second and listened to a rap? No, he didn't, right? He didn't really have the time to do these kind of things. So when you make stories from the past accessible via storytelling, models of the present, you make those stories interesting and you have the creative license to do that. right? People, the audiences, readers, viewers, they support all these works. Why? Because they enjoy them. So you can definitely make the story accessible to the morality of the present. And when I say morality, I don't mean moral standards, I mean storytelling standards, okay. Again, you can check the blog out for all the detailed blahs. Uh, you'll find the link in the comments All the video description because this video will later on go to YouTube as well. For, for penultimately or second last point we have is this characters with a likability problem can be made accessible or more sympathetic. So I had this discussion with a friend of mine uh, from college, uh, and we were discussing narco's. And I was like, uh, I hate how they make uh, Paulo Escobar seem so sympathetic. Like, I feel sorry for Paulo Escobar. Can you imagine that statement for somebody as vile and somebody as uh, you could say somebody who created so much chaos as the guy that. Capitalized the drug that, that brought capitalization to the drug trade, right? So he told me something amazing, which is, Oh, Didi, that, that because he was he's my junior in college, so he calls me Didi sometimes. Uh, he was like, This is done to make him more likable. You character narco's jungle character, and I was like, Oh my god, you have a point, Asad. He was absolutely right here. Uh, when we take unlikable characters, use storytelling and make them likable, you are more invested in that character than say in the other characters. In Game of Thrones, people like Cersei, people like Daenerys, even though they were like both of them consistently kept killing people from season one. right? So characters who have a likability problem when made more sympathetic could become treasure troves of uh, writing, uh, writing you could say, experience. So Maleficent, this is where I wanted to cite the example of Maleficent. Maleficent, the movie tells us that Maleficent was a fairy and uh, she would protect the woods, the moors and all the magical, wonderful creatures living in it. And she was unfortunately the last of her kind because a lot of her fellow fairies were killed off. This is something we find in Maleficent 2 were killed off because of their magical properties or people were just afraid of their magical properties and they were like, too powerful has to be killed. Right. So they went into hiding. So in Maleficent 1, she's the only one and she does not have anyone her age to talk to, relative, to, and then up comes this guy and she becomes friends with him. This guy is a commoner and there's a price on Maleficent's feather, feathers in her life. So instead of being her friend, what he does is he betrays her and he cuts off her wings, the pride of her life, right? She loved She loved to fly and he took the thing that she loved the most. And then this bitterness begins within her. So a character that was binary in Sleeping Beauty, which is completely evil. She just wants to kill Sleeping Beauty because she's bad. She's evil. Now she's maleficent. Somebody who was wronged by a man over and over and over again till she went across the tipping point And she was like, screw you guys. I'm going to build a gigantic wall around my moors. And I'm going to stay here. And when my time comes, and it does come, when Aurora, the child is born, and she goes and curses it. But plot twist, she's the one who ends up taking care of it. Because her character has layers, right? So you root for Maleficent. You root for the evil queen. Uh, Sorry, evil witch right, which is something you don't do in Sleeping Beauty. So characters with a likability problem can be made accessible. Naruto did this so well with Pain. He and Nagato, with uh, Obito with Madara, over and over and over again, even with Sasuke, right, over and over and over again, they took these very flawed characters who did awful things. And then they made people cry tubs of tears when these characters died. Why? Because despite the awful, unlikable things they did, there was a reason behind what they did, which is what made them likeable, which is what made the readers relate to these characters. So you can you can do that with historical and mythological and fairy tale characters, right? If not anything else, Practice on fan fiction. I think that's what I'm going to do. That's what I've been doing, honestly. I've been writing weird fanfic. I have written one on Joan of the Ark. And uh, that is up on Medium. I don't think I'm going to link that because it's not good. But again, this is about practicing, right? If you don't write, if you don't practice, how are you going to improve? So, <laughs> there's that. And then finally, last point. People read fiction to read about people. Imperfect people. Now, this is this is it, we like to make historical and mythological character these paragons of perfection, God, God hai, can't criticize them, historical great hero, hero hai, can't criticize them. But, but if you actually take the time to read their stories, you find out how they made many mistakes, and how they learned from those mistakes and how they remedied those mistakes. right and these mistakes within their stories is what makes them benevolent is what makes them these characters we look up to we like to talk about we like to discuss we like to analyze right so historical mythological characters already imperfect with people who don't have a lot of their imperfections explained so you can use storytelling and you can definitely, definitely do that with your characters. Okay. So I think that's it for the live regarding uh, the topic, which was I'm gonna bring it up again. Why and how you can learn storytelling by reading historical, mythological fiction, right? So what you can do and what you should do is if you are brave enough, And uh, if you have enough time, go at the actual information source. Instead of reading interpretations of the book, books or the mythology or the history, try to read the actual history. It's not boring, okay? History textbooks from school, very different from actual history books. So go into actual historical and mythological works, the source material, if you find that to be boring, and I understand how that could happen, sometimes there's some archaic vocabulary there, which is difficult to deal with. Go. If if that happens with you, try historical fiction instead. Lots and lots and lots and lots of writers have done this, where they have taken characters from the history mythology, and they have made fictional books around it, which are very popular. Okay, works of Shakespeare, uh, I've I've taken so many examples Stuart, that they, as the thing. LinkedIn user uh, mentioned, Eric von Daniken, he has four amazing books about this. Uh, then you have uh, Madeline Miller. You have uh, Amish Tripathi. You have this guy, forgetting his name, mm-hmm. Sean Hoggins. What is his real name? That's his pen name. So there are uh, so many good writers out there that you can check out if the original source material bores you. So thank you so much for tuning in, right? Uh, If you have any doubts, you can use the comment section of this very live or you can go to my blog and drop in a comment and I will address every comment. If you have been with me, you know that I don't do, I agree, (laughs) ha ha types reply. I'm a blah blah person, as this 54 odd minute live will kind of uh, show you already. So that's it. Thank you so much for joining in, and this is. I'm a thank you again for joining me, and I'll be ending the live now. Bye bye. Uh, coming soon will be. I, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to talk to certain people, but people be so attitudeous. My god, like you just have to say yes or no, I'll come on your live, I won't come on your live. Instead, there's this whole like jerking around in terms of so over it. So I don't know what the next live will be about, but I think I'll probably do a live on Medusa uh, no on Amaterasu first, then we'll do it on Medusa. So. Stay tuned for that, I guess. And uh, do sign up to my newsletter if possible. It helps. Bye-bye.